Hey guys, it's Leisha and Kenny here, and welcome back to another episode of Not Me, Not Today podcast. Hello, and hello to everyone, wherever you are in the world, but especially Australia this week. Oh yeah, Australia, we see you. We got into the top 50 of the charts last week for our category, so thank you so much, guys. And also, thank you to everyone, but a little shout out to our listeners down under this week. Thank you so much. Also, those of you who've left reviews and comments, thank you so much. It really does make a difference, not just to the podcast, but it also makes our day. It really does. So please do leave us reviews and comments on the pictures or on our episodes. The links are in the show notes. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. I'm really excited to tell you about this week's episode. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm really excited to hear it. I guess we won't delay any further. Leisha, what's the story? Today's story is about Holly and Jerry Fitzgerald. They were a couple who were on their year-long honeymoon looking for adventure, and boy did they get it. Their plane crashes into the Amazon jungle and they had to walk and sail their way out. Oh wow, that sounds very familiar to two stories we've covered before. That's why I'm so excited. When I was researching this, I found so many coincidences that it will give you goosebumps. This will definitely mention both Yossi and Yuliane, and I cannot wait to tell you why. I'm so glad I happened to come across this story after we've done the two previous stories. This one will also be a two-parter. Oh, cool. It's been a while since we've had one of those. I'm intrigued. Let's get started. Holly Conklin was born in 1946. I couldn't get an actual date because as for her early life, there is pretty much nothing out there. She grew up in a middle-class privileged background. Her dad was an architect and had gone to Ivy League schools. Her mother was a sculptress. Holly had one sister. Jerry had a brother and two sisters. His dad was Irish and had emigrated to the US when he was just a child. His dad never went to high school, but loved to read and placed massive importance on education. He became a police officer. His mother was sent to New York as a teenager and she learned to fly a plane before she learned to drive. Oh, wow. Pretty amazing, isn't it? It really is. Holly was a fiery, passionate woman. She was educated and loved to hang out with her friends during college. They would study together, have coffees together, and they liked to have intelligent conversations. Holly was a driven woman who was doing a master's in sociology. Jerry Fitzgerald was a year younger than Holly and had done a little bit of traveling himself. He was the calm, non-confrontational type. He, however, was fascinated in the world and what it had to offer in terms of stories and adventure. Jerry was enrolled in college to do law and journalism. He was living in San Francisco at the time. That time was? 1967. Unfortunately, it was also the year that Jerry got drafted to serve in the Vietnam War. He didn't really want to go, but he didn't have a choice. So he packed up and went over to fight for eight months. He went in as infantry and worked as a platoon radio man. He then became a machine gunner and was injured twice in action and discharged early. Oh, that's an intense start to his story already. Yeah, some parts of this story are going to be pretty intense, but they're so worth it. When Jerry came back, he was a little bit more withdrawn. However, it didn't seem to have affected him as badly as others who had been there for longer. Jerry and Holly knew each other as their circles connected. He was a year younger than her and a friend of someone she knew. He would be there in group settings on occasion and always seemed very nice. Apparently, once he came back from the war, initially he had money but would always treat them to rounds of coffee. However, it wasn't long before that generosity left him broke. Holly bought him groceries to help and went to his apartment. They got talking and it went from there. Oh, that's lovely. Something so wholesome. They came together because they were both giving. How nice. Most would probably say that's a good karma thing. If that's the case, I'd hate to think what they did between the wedding and the honeymoon to deserve what they got then. (laughs) Well, Holly and Jerry get married in 1970. They'd considered having a family together at some point, but hadn't given it too much thought. They had goals that they wanted to achieve first. Adventures that they wanted to have. But then when both Holly and Jerry finished their respective degrees, they decided they wanted to have a big honeymoon. 
a honeymoon where they would spend a year backpacking around the world. A year? That is one long honeymoon. (laughs) I'd love a year-long honeymoon. So would I. But as we all know, a year-long honeymoon costs money, especially ones where you're going to be traveling a lot of the time. So Jerry and Holly both took a year and a half to work all the hours they could to afford this dream honeymoon. And they actually achieved their goals a few months earlier than they'd first anticipated. So in September 1972, they set off. However, these two have the luxury of being influencers before social media. They were to travel and document it. Jerry would write articles about the places he'd visited and submit them in South America wherever he could. They still get paid a bit then. That's very useful when you travel in the world. Nice little money flow. Indeed. So Holly and Jerry's harrowing adventure actually starts in Peru in a little place called Pucalpa. Hey, I recognise that name. Yeah, you do, because 11 months previously, this is where Yuliane Kupka's plane went down. A memorial for them is still in that town. 11 months before? Yep. So that's one little nugget. This happens less than a year after Yuliane and her plane went down. In the exact same place. Wow, what are the chances? That's pretty impressive. Oh, I have more. So, Jerry and Holly were in Pucalpa as backpackers, and trying to get a flight across Bolivia so that they could go to Brazil for the carnival. Initially, they tried to get a plane out of there and Holly queued up since before sunrise to make sure she got plane tickets and a space on that little plane. It was only a little plane and could fit less than 20 people. Sounds like a tin can. No thank you. Indeed. However, when the time came, there was a large queue and people shoved their way in, past Holly to get a place, much to Holly's anger and annoyance. After Jerry, who, by the way, I'm actually going to call Fitz for the rest of this because that's what he likes to be called and that's what Holly calls him. After Fitz told Holly she'd have to be a bit more forceful, they tried again the next day. This time, they were successful. They boarded the little plane with a bunch of other passengers and headed for Bolivia, taking off from a little airstrip in Pucalpa. I still can't get over that it was the same town Yuliani's plane went down in. It's incredible, isn't it? So, the plane gets into difficulty, and the pilot attempts to land the plane and not have everyone on board killed. Ah, good man. The plane crash lands in a little opening, and they all manage to get out of the plane. No one died in the crash, luckily. However, they were now several hundred miles from anywhere, really. They got out with the other passengers, and they were now in the jungle. They were the only gringos and English speakers. So, as they were all outside the plane, they walked with the survivors through the jungle brush. They all came across a river, and they made their way across it. And when they got out of the little boat, they noticed a man on the other side. Holly and Fitz were the only ones to make eye contact and greet him. He beckoned them to follow him. So Holly and Fitz left the other passengers and started to follow this wild-looking man into the jungle. They had some rudimentary Spanish and tried to make conversation and explain what had happened. He'd a wheelbarrow and offered to carry their bags in it. They accepted and commented on the lovely gesture. The wild man, who was scraggy in appearance and hunched over, then made his way into the thick of the jungle, hacking away at it with a machete. Uh, what happened to the other passengers? Did they just take off into the jungle with the wild man? Well, yes. They thought the other passengers were going to follow behind them, but Holly and Fitz didn't also want to be left behind by this man, so they stayed as close to him as they could. They asked this man how he came to be in the jungle, and how far they were from civilization. However, the man said something in Spanish that they didn't fully understand. So they looked it up on the translation in their book. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. The translation had told them that he'd killed his sister with seven arrows. Okay, really? Yeah, really. 
They weren't sure if he was messing or not with them or if it was some sort of slang. Surely though, they weren't following a man who'd killed his sister deep into the jungle away from the others after a plane crash, were they? Did he? Well, I'll get to that part now. I don't want to give it away yet. So, slightly terrified, they debated whether or not to follow him. To be fair, if a man holding a machete told me that he'd killed his sister, I'd be debating whether I'd follow him any further or not too. <laughs> Same. Well, eventually they decide that they can't turn back. They don't know where they are and this man did offer to carry their bags. So they took their chances that they'd misheard or misunderstood him. Eventually, Holly and Fitz become separated. Holly was scared by a couple of snakes and Fitz and the wild man had gone into the bush. Holly initially panicked when the fork in the road came up and she waited, afraid to take the wrong turn. She knew Fitz would be back to get her. She didn't want to move. She sat for a while and the sun began to go down. And just when she was about to panic, Fitz emerged and got her. That would be scary though. Good idea to stay still and not move when we were last seen. Indeed, although this is a jungle and not a shopping centre. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he had a good excuse why he didn't notice her earlier. <laughs> he did, or at least he felt he did. He was minding the bags. So, eventually, after some more walking, they entered another clearing with a building in it. They also find the other passengers. Ah, oh, so they managed to end up in the same place anyway. Yes, and it was no coincidence either. It turns out their plane had in fact crashed into a prison in a place called Zeppa. No way, a prison? Yeah, for dangerous criminals. The guards they met explained to Holly and Fitz that they hold some of the most dangerous criminals around and that there are no fences. The jungle is the fence. The men were given machetes to beat back the jungle. According to the guards, that's the real danger. Was the wild man a prisoner? Yeah, the guards called them lucky too. Apparently, if they'd come in through the other side of the prison where the inmates lived, they may not have been so lucky. They were told to never walk anywhere alone in the prison grounds. How did the guards get in and out? Well, they signed up for five-year shifts and lived in the prison. Jeez. Yep. During the wet season, the roads were so muddy that they couldn't get any real transportation. Even for a plane crash, they're sending no one into this jungle for survivors. Nope. So the guards gave Holly and Fitz some tips and advice on how to get out. Their advice was, you're going to have to sail your way out. The other exciting find is, this area where they crashed is literally only a couple hundred miles from where Yossi went missing. Oh my god, really? Yep. Honestly, if you put Pucalpa, Apollo and Madre de Rios into Google Maps, your mind will be blown. It's like the Bermuda Triangle, jungle version. Note to self, don't fly over that jungle. Exactly. Anyway, Holly and Fitz stayed in the prison for a day or two and awaited a plane to come and get them. However, no plane arrived because, as the guards had told them, it was rainy season and the ground was too wet. Eventually, the other passengers were getting irate and wanted to get back to their lives, but there was nothing that the guards could do. Eventually, on the morning of February 10th, 1973, a plane finally arrived and everyone was relieved, although the plane was identical to the crumpled one that had crashed. So then, it took off and they headed to Puerto Maldonado. Oh, the unease of having to get on a plane that's identical to the one you just survived. I know, right? But I guess they don't really have much choice. So they land and all the other passengers had families waiting for them at the airport. Holly and Fitz did not. It wasn't a real airport either. It wasn't very big and it was very remote. They took their bags and headed a mile up the road towards Madre de Rios, which was a big river that eventually led to the Amazon River. Were there no cars? Could no one give them a ride? Okay, so I'll come to that now. They did actually manage to get one eventually, and they hitched a ride to a tiny town with an inn for $1 a night. 
That next morning, they went to inquire about the boat down the river when the police officer told them it wouldn't be possible. They wanted to go to Rebralta, which was in Bolivia and close to where they wanted to continue on their journey to Brazil for the carnival. Isn't that where Yossi and Kevin went after they escaped the jungle in Bolivia? Yep. These little pieces of connecting information is pretty interesting. I love it. But anyway, the officer told them that there wouldn't be anybody going to Rebralta for at least three months. It was usually a local guy who had family there and he visited them every few months. And he'd only been recently. Yeesh. So there was a map and a book that they had, which laid out a route and claimed times for these boats to take them there. However, the police officer said that that didn't really exist and it must be a misprint. It was very rural and commercial boats didn't exist. They were now going to have to come up with plan B. The officer suggested flying, but said they'd have to go to the airport for details. So they went and discovered that no planes were flying for three weeks. And the plane that was flying was only going to Pucallpa, which is back to where they came from. I'd take it. At least it's somewhere they know that's a bigger town, even if it is like three weeks away. Same. But they met a man in a cafe who had been gold panning. He'd overheard Holly and Fitz discussing what to do next and came over to them. He explained he was travelling in these parts and there was a lot of gold in the area. Hmm, his name wasn't Carl, was it? (laughs) No, although that is exactly where my wine went to as well. His name was Juan. Holly and Fitz explained their honeymoon plans to travel the world and what had happened to them. But Juan offered some advice. He said they can take a raft called a balsa and ride down the river. No way. Yes way. Isn't this story just amazing? Especially if you've listened to the others. So they decided to do exactly that. However, you can only go down river. There are so many trees to be able to make rafts that people would typically just abandon them at certain parts of their journey and leave them for others who wanted to continue further. Juan had just come down from upriver himself and offered some further advice. He told them to build their own raft from ones that had already been made to fit their needs, something they could manage. Both were surprised at his suggestion because they knew he was hinting they'd do it alone down the river and neither of them really knew how to sail or control a raft like that. That would be very daunting. That's another reason I'd wait for the plane to Pacalpa. Agreed. But Juan said there's nothing to it. Just ride it and it flows on the current. Holly began to get excited at the thought of riding down a raft on the Amazon River. She fantasised about how rich an experience it would be, up close and personal. That would be you. I also agree. (laughs) They asked Juan if it was safe, and he reassured them. It was about 800 kilometres, which was about 500 miles, and they told him it would take about 10 days to get to Robralta. If they travelled consistently night and day on the river, they could make it in five. At night? Not me, not today. (laughs) Right. However, Juan told them that it may in fact be safer. Nothing as big as them will be on the river and there can be predators on the shore. Holly and Fitz asked if they could get lost, but Juan reassured them that there was no other tributaries or rivers off the Madre River, so they won't get lost. They can just stay on the raft, on the current, and it will lead right there. Sounds a bit too good to be true, doesn't it? Very much so. Knowing me, I'd do it anyway because he's telling me what I want to hear. (laughs) Another reason not to get into these situations with you. Exactly. Juan told them that they needed little supplies as along the river there were certain points where there were farms who, when you holler at them, bring food to you like fruit and bread to keep you going on your journey. That definitely sounds too good to be true now. Well, Fitz said the exact same thing. So Juan told them if they wanted to build a raft and go alone ASAP, they could go tomorrow, but he wouldn't be able to come along. If they waited one more day, 
he would be able to help to be their guide. I think we've heard that one before. <laughs> well, Fitz was unsure and Holly was excited. Fitz tried to inject a nanoparticle of reality and said that they'd only just met this stranger and just because he sounds confident, it doesn't necessarily mean he can't be wrong. Fitz was totally up for waiting three months for that boat. Holly managed to convince him otherwise. Classic. Eventually, they get on that raft. It took them about three days to get it ready. From the raft to their tent, they had a couple of locals help them. They also made a stove and a grill to go on the raft. They got some oranges, bread, canned sausages, tuna, sardines, cheese, as well as a drop line and two fish hooks. The hooks were huge. They were about four inches long. Apparently, they were the only ones the shop sold. Wow, I don't even want to know what I'm supposed to be catching with a four-inch hook. <laughs> Holly wondered why they were so big, but she didn't give it too much thought. They also got a machete and a mosquito net. The only real piece of hard advice Juan gave them was that under no circumstances should they ever swim in the water. Well, we do know about caiman and other threats in that water. Well, not like this one, you don't. The reason they were told not to swim was not because of the obvious predators that we've encountered in these stories so far. Nope. The reason this time was because there was a teeny tiny sawtoothed fish that would swim up your butt and latch to your intestines. Oh, like the internal leech. Yep, they'll suck you dry. Juan also suggested that they bring a rifle, but Fitz hated guns after his time in Vietnam, so he declined. When they set off, they spent $19.37 on goods, and those goods included four boxes of food with spam, beans, cheese, and rice, two Panama straw hats, a flashlight and batteries, mosquito netting, chicken wire, recycled canola oil container, plastic for the tent, a hammer, nails, and a 15-foot rope. They also got a machete that they already owned, a sleeping bag, and sheet, and two ponchos. They also got wool blankets, two hammocks from before, and a sewing kit with malaria pills. Malaria pills? <laughs> it was not like Yossi and his amphetamines. A machete was used to make a rudder, which they attached to the stern of the raft. It took four days in total to gather supplies and ready themselves properly. Did they go with one? No, he decided to go upwards, but he did give them a bottle of wine to christen the boat. Finally, they were ready to go. Holly was excited and eager to start their adventure. They christened their boat, the Pink Palace. Why that name? Well, there's a longer explanation to this, but in short, it's because the American ambassador to a Peru had an embassy that looked like a pink palace. Okay. But they were stopped before setting off by two officers that asked if they had a license to travel, even on a raft. They didn't. So, with a quick stop, the officers got them a license and recorded their travel date in the case they went missing. They would let Robrolta know to expect them in a few days, and if they didn't arrive, they would have other people on the lookout for them on their way down, or even organise a plane to fly over the area from Lima. After all that, they finally set off. It took them a while to get into the current of the river, as it kept pushing them back out. It surprised them a bit, but they finally got it. It just took a lot more effort than they'd expected. Wow, I guess I never would have thought that either. Just get out to it and it will catch you. You always hear of the current whisking you away. I guess it doesn't really cross your mind that it might be difficult to get into in the first place. Me too, especially on a boat or a raft. Anyway, they hit the middle of the river on their way down, go around several bends, until finally they were out of sight of Puerto Maldonado. The river was three quarters of a mile wide and fast, yet they floated relatively easily down the river. It calmed Holly a little with its steadiness. Eventually it got wider again, with thick, dense jungle either side, where, on occasion, there would be a gap with ploughed land. 
but not a person or a farmhouse to be seen. It was so wide that the trees were fuzzy dots on the horizon. Wild animals made sounds that filled the jungle, and birds flew overhead and fish splashed in the water. They felt at peace. They marvelled at the wildlife and the jungle and everything that surrounded them. The experience was surreal. They were on a raft, heading down the river, on their honeymoon. They were getting the adventure they dare not dream of when it first started. I mean, it does sound idyllic so far. Not the plane crash or the prison, but floating down the river in the Amazon jungle with your wife and a raft full of supplies, not too bad. Your brother and his girlfriend would love that. <laughs> they would indeed, as would I in theory. But we wouldn't do these stories if they were simple. These all start off as dreams, but quickly turn into nightmares. True. It does paint a nice picture for now, though. I agree. For now, it does. They took pictures of each other and spent time talking and enjoying themselves upon the river as it carried them to their destination. For hours, they talked and bantered with each other, marvelling at everything that surrounded them. Holly rested her head on Fitz's lap as she absorbed the sunshine and basked in the moment. They ate the food and drank some of their supplies. Eventually, they did see some huts and people. They called out to them and received friendly waves back. Holly and Fitz would ask if they had bread and oranges, which the people responded that they did, but no one came out to give it to them. So they carried on down the river and did this a couple more times, with the same result. The sun began to go down and they began to get a little bit worried that they hadn't seen any real civilization or people that Juan had described. They decided to pull in just in case. I'm sure that was more difficult than trying to get into the current. Oh, it was. They struggled many, many times, grasping at the vines and branches on the edges. They almost fell in a couple of times. No matter how hard they both tried to get to the shore, they kept being dragged back in. The rudder was no use then, I take it. Pretty much. It was way too small to tackle that type of current. So they began to panic a little bit. What had once seemed like an idyllic boat ride, like the ones you get in bush gardens, eventually transitioned into fear as they realised they now had no control over this raft and they were at the mercy of the river. Dark and helpless on the river. Sounds like a nightmare. Doesn't it? They were supposed to pull in along the shore to a border post to register that they were crossing. Only, they didn't see anything. So, helpless on the river, they decided to take turns to sleep and look out for the border post. Holly would sleep and Fitz would stay watch. Holly woke up to Fitz shouting for help in Spanish, and he told her that he saw people on the bank and they were at the border post. They used their flashlight and shouted for help, waving where they'd seen people on the shore and to the right. After hearing them shout back but unable to make out what was being said, they heard a shotgun go off. Then another. And then another. Holly and Fitz both dropped to the floor of the raft. Holly retreating back inside the tent and staying low. Whoa, that's not how I expected that to go. Why are they shooting? Is it the border post? Yes, it is the border post, but they were shooting because they thought that Holly and Fitz were smugglers trying to pass the border in the pitch black. Ah, that makes a bit more sense. Although I don't know why smugglers would be screaming for help and waving a flashlight at the border patrol guards. Yeah, good point actually. But anyway, the men on the shore got into boats and came up to Holly and Fitz's little raft, urging them to come out. It took several of those motorboats to push the little raft ashore as the current was so strong. They were taken to the border hut. The men rifled through all of their things and teased them. Holly began to panic and Fitz became very defensive. But eventually, the sergeant came and sent the men away. He took them in for the night and apologised for the behaviour of the other men. He reassured them of their journey and said that they can ride it continuously until they get to Rebralta. He helped them back onto the main current, onto the river. 
And again, they were on that river as they were the day before, in the centre of it, which times was easily two miles wide. So they tried to spend their time keeping themselves occupied by talking or reading. And the book that Holly brought with her and tried reading was... Oh, that Yossi one. I can't remember what it's called. Papillon. No way. Yes, it was. More weirdness. I couldn't leave that little nugget out. Anyway, they spent the day on the raft, easing themselves into the night. They retreated into their tent for sleep. When Holly woke up from a bad dream she was having, she awoke to a nightmare. The raft was spinning in circles. Thunder and lightning roared and flashed overhead. Fitz was still sleeping unawares and Holly tried to wake him. He woke up confused, but with the overpowering crack of thunder, he suddenly realised what was happening. They were in the pitch black night, on a tiny raft with no more control than splintered wood carried helplessly downstream. The little raft being tossed about amongst the waves. Bolts of lightning provided glimpses of the situation that they were in. Then suddenly there was a tear through the tent and the raft stilled. It was a tree trunk. Oh no. Fitz had been thrown forward out of the tent and almost off the raft altogether. Holly was pinned down in the tent by the tree. Fitz tried to pull it off her, but it was stuck. Holly, face down, unable to move, began to feel a burning sensation. It started at her head, then moved down her neck and across her back. She thought she was on fire. Fire ants. Yep. The tree that had pinned Holly to the floor of the raft was covered in fire ants that began to attack her. Oh, I'm loving how much of a mixture this story is. Same. Finally, Holly managed to get out, having to push her way backwards, and her hair was tangled in the tree branches. Oh, you can imagine that, though. You fell asleep on a raft, wake up, and it's tropical storm. You've been pinned to the floor by a tree that's covered in fire ants, and it's pitch black. Oh, the fear that must be brimming inside of them. It sounds horrific. Eventually, they pushed the log off the raft and Holly ran out to shake off the ants. She desperately wanted to wash them off, but they couldn't because, you know, they'd never get back out and it's a storm. But the wind was strong enough to sweep most of them off. Shortly afterwards, they found themselves knocking up against the shore. They tied themselves to a tree branch and relaxed as they settled and tried to wait out the storm. I don't think I'll be able to sleep after that. Also, were they not afraid of wild animals that might eat them now that they've been tied to the riverbank? Well, according to Holly, they were too tired and too afraid of the storm to be afraid of those predators. Wow. Mm-hmm. They awoke the next morning to a calmer day. Holly itched from the ant bites, covered in red welts. Oh, that makes me itchy just thinking about it. <laughs> Same. The raft was intact, but the tent had been ripped to pieces. It was no longer waterproof. Their food supplies had been decimated, all they had left was a 4-ounce can of tuna, 1.5 ounces of dehydrated pea soup, a small chunk of cheese, a jar of instant coffee, and a half a bag of sugar wrapped in plastic, and a can of evaporated milk. The supplies had fallen into the water, through the wall of the tent that had been torn by the tree. The machete had also gone, although I forgot to mention earlier, that was actually the guards at the border point who had taken it. Well, that's pretty bad. Did they lose their stove and their stuff as well? No, most of the proper hardy supplies were actually still aboard the raft. They made a coffee for that morning and had a cigarette. <laughs> Helping put things into perspective. <laughs> Amusing, isn't it? Anyway, they soon realised that they were actually in the middle of the river, but it was like a pond. The bank that they were tied to was actually a mesh of trees, roots and bushes. There was no actual ground. It was like a marsh in the middle of the river. They also noticed that it was going much, much slower than before. They'd feared that they'd been knocked off course, but had to keep going. Again, they struggled to get back to the current as they kept being pushed towards the marsh, and finally, they got to the current. 
But it was very, very slow. I thought there were no tributaries around. Well, that's what Holly said, and she tried to convince Fitz to take the raft a certain direction, but he thought it'd be a dead end, as it forked and the current seemed to slow there. Holly, not convinced that the Amazon River of this size would have a dead end, pressed him to carry on the route that she felt would lead them out, and onto the river with a stronger current. But as they passed the bushy islands with no ground underneath, Holly realised that these were not grassy islands. They were the tops of trees. As they tried to navigate, they did in fact find themselves at a dead end. The river had burst its banks, lifted them out of the course of the normal river, and had now led them down into a dead end, where they were met by a wall of trees and murky brown water. I'm sure that's some fight not to say, I told you so. (laughs) Probably. Although not satisfying, I told you so. I'm sure you wish he was right. (laughs) I'm sure he did. They pulled themselves back into the stream, grabbing onto tree branches to get out of the dead end. They were truly lost now. They finally camped up again for the evening and pulling into a tree line, they heard a growling in the jungle. Then it got even closer. Holly struggled to sleep. Fitz tried to brush it off and encouraged her to take some Z's. But then the rain hit again, so they took some plastic that they had and tried to give themselves some more protection. The next morning, they made soup from the water around them and drank it, using their teeth to filter the mud, silt and twigs that floated in the soup. Oh, at least they're not the urine stage yet. Why didn't they eat the tuna? Well, they considered it, they just wanted to keep it until they were more desperate. So, then they reassessed their plans. What would they do? Where would they go from here? Do they wait for help? Oh yeah, because the guards had radioed to Gibraltar. Yeah, exactly. So there may be help searching for them in a few days. So, whilst discussing whether or not they abandoned their raft to swim the swamp, eventually they decided to pray for help. God helps those who help themselves, Fitz said. So he would swim to land and get the help. But Holly was determined to go with him, telling him under no circumstances will they separate. They had decided. They were going to leave their raft and swim the river, swimming through the soft current until they hit land. That really doesn't seem like a good idea. Besides, those bum leeches would definitely be a no-no for me. (laughs) I also agree. But they looked ahead through the trees and saw a small raft in better shape than theirs. That would be their saviour. A small raft able to make its way through the trees easily. Fitz went in and got that raft by swimming over to it. It was two feet by four feet. That finalised the next day's plans. Changing raft and swimming up the river. They went to sleep that night with the little raft tied beside their own. They were going to start their swim, holding on to that small raft, in the morning. Why? Well, it would possibly be faster and easier to manoeuvre. So, this is where I'm going to leave part one for today. You can catch part two next week. I hope you enjoyed the coincidences so far. Wow, this is great. It's really similar in some ways, but so different in others. I can't wait for next week's now. Me either. Well, guys, the pictures for this episode will be up on our Facebook and Instagram pages. Just head to the links in the show notes to see those. If you're an Apple subscriber, we'd really appreciate a review. If you want to send us suggestions or even impart knowledge about episodes we've already done, let me know. It'd be really cool to do an interesting facts episode on any of the info that was missed out from previous episodes and have a random trivia blast about our survivors. That would be so cool. Well, where can they send those to? Not me, not today podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, stay alive. Bye. Bye. Not me, not today podcast.